From the shores of Summer Lake in Tigard, Oregon, it's the Portland Tim Beers Podcast, a show featuring two guys who love craft beer and Portland Timbers soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Gary. Tim Beers. I'm Jason. And I'm Gary. And we're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We talk about soccer, beer, and pretty much whatever else we want. Yeah, pretty much. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. What'd you think of that sexy intro? Brand new. Brand spanking new. That makes us legal. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scary thought. We're not legal, kids. Watch out. We're on the street. Look out. You can do us and you can't get arrested. Wrong kind of legal? Yeah, wrong kind of legal. <laughs> ah, well, shit. Yep. Yeah, you went there. Big podcast tonight, big fella. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Corvallis Brewing Supply. Yeah. Mr. Joel joining us here soon. That's going to be a fantastic interview. Look forward to hearing about what Corvallis Brewing Supply has to offer and how COVID is treating our friend Joel and his brewing supply company. Yeah. Damn COVID. Yeah, well, we know that uh, a lot of the brewing companies were having issues before COVID. Yes. So the hypothesis is that uh, everybody's staying at home and has time to brew. So we'll see how that plays out. We shall see. So, what are you drinking? Well, uh, I just finished just the finished. Uh, White Stout from Deorum Brewing. Wow. Yeah. What the fuck is DRM Brewing? Oh, yeah, that's my private brewery. Your private dancer? <laughs> my, pri- my private dancer private brewery. dancer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you go into some of the most fucked up tangents that I have ever seen. Private dancer. Yeah. There it is. There it is, kids. So, uh, what would you think of the White Stout? Uh, you know, I like it. I think... That is either the fourth or fifth iteration, but it's the first iteration with the new yeast strain uh, that we had to go with because the old yeast strain, they stopped making it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty tasty. So, again, uh, a little bit drier than the others. I remember residual sugar on the other ones a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of gives it that stout feeling. Right. This has the stout taste, but not the heaviness. Right, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, the the one kind of concern that I've got with it is I left the the uh, dry roast coffee bean in there for forty eight hours. Oh shit! Yeah, I usually only do it for twenty four, and I figured, you know what? Let's let's let this kind of play out, see how it, how it does for forty eight. And? I think the caffeine transferred into the beer. How do you know? Uh, I took the beer to a party Friday night, and the party started at 7. I tapped the keg shortly after that, and I drank until midnight. So I had five total beers, and I didn't go to sleep till after 7 the next morning. Tap that keg for me. Have that keg for me. <laughs> and I was wired the whole freaking night. All heart, night? Heart rate, yeah, all night. Heart rate was like at 90 the entire time. It was nuts. And that was just the private dancer you were looking at. Oh, shit. Private Here we go. Yeah, there you go. Dancer. No, it was the beer. Oh. 
Well, soak it for 24. What the hell did you do? I soaked it for 48. Well, there you go. But, you know, I, I don't know if I could have trusted the roast. Well, being the guy that roasted it doesn't remember the freaking roasting <laughs> exactly. process. Exactly, that's my whole point. I don't, and the problem is, we'll never recreate that roast. No, we never will. Yeah, and so that's a one-off beer. Yeah, and the well, for a number of reasons, <laughs> not just the roast. Yeah, so the uh, roast itself is interesting because the longer you roast it, the blacker the bean, the less caffeine. Yeah, and since I don't remember where we were on the. Uh, Roasting profile? Well... You could have been blonde. You could have been black. Well, the funny thing is, I remember looking at the beans before I put them in. Yeah. And they were half green, half uh, roasted. When you put them in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Very that interesting. That doesn't sound like how I roast my coffee. Very interesting roast profile. But the way we were after the last <laughs> podcast episode, when we roasted, doesn't yeah, surprise me Yeah, it doesn't all. surprise me either. I would do, I'm just lucky it got roasted. Yeah, you're lucky for a lot of things. We're lucky we didn't burn down the garage. <laughs> no so. shit. <laughs> well, kids, we're uh, drinking another six-pack from uh, Uptown... Market. Market. Not brewery. Not market. Brewery. Market. You can't call them Uptown Brewery. Mm-mm. They're Uptown Market. Yes. It's binary brewing. And they're really fucking good at overfilling the cans. Yeah, so we just cat- tap these cans, and once again, hey, Uptown Market, um, I don't bitch about too much beer usually, like extras, <laughs> but, but you blew up my office again. <laughs> Because each can was overpressurized. <laughs> and when I say overpressurized, it's like beer on top of the can, like when I open it. There's literally a good eighth of an inch of beer on the top of the can. How do you fill up a can enough to like have more know. beer than can fit in the can? I don't know. I, that's, that's a marketing genius move. Yep. Well, so beer number one, what do you think? You thought it was a gose, I think, I think it's a talk. gose, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a Belgian strong dark Really? Yeah, I think it's Belgian. Of course, you probably already looked at the answers. Nope. Well, then how did you know what we were getting into tonight? So that we wouldn't be wrecked tomorrow. I knew that we were getting into them because uh, I bought the six-pack and it said, hey, this is what we've got. I don't buy it. So this is a Belgian dark. You know what? I Who think do you you're think right, the brewery dude. is? Um, I don't know, but I'm definitely tasting the the... Now that it's warmed up, I'm tasting that banana clovey taste that the Belgians usually have. Yeah, yeah. It, it's tastes about ten percent to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look out! <laughs> Get wrecked! And it tastes kind of like a Frem Brewing beer. Really? Yeah. Wow, you you can tell all that from looking at the card. Uh, no, <laughs> I can tell that by licking the glass. Wow. <laughs> What do you think? You, you heard like that here first, Debbie. This is really not your wheelhouse beer. No. No? no this is definitely not in my wheelhouse. This is probably more in Tim's wheelhouse. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a tasty okay beer, but uh, it's definitely... It's banana-y clovey-ish. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's a darky, darky beer. It's so. definitely on the dark side. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's connect with Joel here and uh, see what Joel's got to say, and then we'll come back and talk about some of these other five beers we've got, plus some home brewing stuff we've got. Got, 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 got. (laughs) What do you got, got? Got, got. (laughs) Here's Joel. 
Um, so again, my name is Joel Ray, uh, owner, proprietor, founder of Corvallis Brewing Supply. Um, I started back in 1997, uh, which is probably uh, longer than some of your drinkers have been legally able to drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the reason I started it was um, I basically needed a job. So I had uh, just wrapped up um, a couple years at the University of Oregon working on a Bachelor of Fine Arts in visual design, photography. And um, I think like a lot of people, when they get to the end of that uh, fabulous college career, they realize what they wanted to do wasn't what they want to do. And that was my case. So um, uh, during my during the spring term of my senior year, I was like trying to figure it out, and I really, uh, I had just started home brewing a couple of years before. Really enjoyed um, the interaction that I had with my homebrew supply shop, which at the time was Willamette Homebrew down in uh, in Eugene. Um, hmm. Now also known more as Falling Sky Brewing. Wow. Um, so I, I thought, well, heck, um, that seems like a pretty good thing to do. So I started looking at uh, communities between Bellingham and Ashland, Newport and Bend. And lo and behold, uh, Corvallis, which was 10 miles away from where I grew up, ended up being one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, I love Corvallis. It's a great town. Um, at the time, uh, the fermentation science degree program at Oregon State University um, had not yet fully been implemented, and so um, basically over the last two decades, I've met a lot of really cool people, uh, not only from Oregon State University, from science, but also um, the myriad of uh, breweries and wineries, cideries and meaderies that have popped up in this neck of the wood, just like every other neck of the wood. Brewing Supply Company down in Corvallis, uh, Oregon's what, fermentation science program, Oregon State's fermentation science program down that way. Um, that's a pretty sweet deal. So do they do they buy stuff from you, or I mean, how does that work? It seems like it would be a good symbiotic relationship. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, no, they've got their own accounts. You know, they're they're basically a big research brewery, so they get a lot of grain donated to them, hops and yeast are all donated to them. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, they have to buy some things, but um, they, they've got their own accounts with uh, different distributors of malt and grain themselves. So so uh, they'll come in when they're in a pinch, when they ran short of just something by a little bit. You know, they'll they'll come pick, pick uh, something up for me. But um, just like all the breweries in town, you know, they don't, they don't really utilize me as their resource of inventory. They, they um, only when they're in a pinch do they come in. Huh. So we chose this year to really focus on homebrew shops around the state of Oregon and really focus regionally here. A lot of homebrew shops are saying, "Hey, we're having a hard time surviving." A lot of that pre-COVID was <clears throat> sales seemed to be down, or people were going elsewhere, like online to 
Northern Brewer and some of these other places online. And so, we thought, hey, we would try to profile these these homebrew shops and say, hey, buy from these folks here instead of going out online. But now and then COVID hit, right? So totally yeah. things are changed completely. I think uh, some people had to change their business models if they were going to stay open. Some just shut down completely. Um, talk to me a little bit about the online pre-COVID world for you and how that was going, um, the amount of home brewers out there. And then also let's talk a little bit about COVID and what that's been. Sure. Well, I'm basically a brick and mortar. Um, I have a very small web presence, and uh, and uh, that's just um, I've never had the resources to fully implement an online presence um, and trying to compete, you know, with like St. Pat's, Texas, and and um, uh, more beer. You know, it's just brutally impossible. So. Um, I've always just kind of maintained my brick and mortar. So when when COVID hit, you know, it was like, well, um, I can't really do much with an online presence. I'm just going to kind of dive into this thing and, and find out what, what happens. So we started implementing uh, some stay safe measures here relatively early on, but we stayed open with phone and email orders and curbside um, delivery and it worked out really well you know the people in Corrales are are hugely supportive and um, and love their local businesses so they um, I've had a lot of great support uh, through my loyal customer base and you know a lot of people were stuck at home quarantining themselves and didn't have a whole lot to do so I did see quite a few customers that basically dropped off for a few years. Uh, they came back and they started brewing again. That's kind of what my gut was saying is that, again, nothing like eight, ten weeks of uh, downtime at home to restart and recharge some of that homebrewing stuff that you used to do, but you didn't have time to do. And guess what? Now I've got all sorts of time to do that. So, But I kind of wondered where people were buying their ingredients because they go back to their local homebrew short stores or were they moving back online and doing some of that stuff? So it sounds like business has been decent for you. Not not the best, right, because of COVID, but it sounds like your loyal customers are there and some folks that are returning. Um, so no, very little online presence for you. Um, how was business in general? Was it down comparatively? I mean, you've been in this for several decades. So has been business down prior to COVID, or was it about the same? How was it? Yeah, it's been a downward spiral uh, yeah. for quite a few years, and um, I guess I could come up with a bunch of reasons, but um, basically, um, you know, with with the myriad of breweries that have popped up in the last seven to ten years, and then all of the cool beer cafes and the growler fill shops, and then, like, even now you can go into Safeway and find a real, relatively decent selection of beer, um, so uh, home brewing became less and less important. When I started in 1997, um, a lot of the people that started home brewing started home brewing because they had done a lot of traveling, and you know, spent time in England and Belgium. And when they came back, they couldn't find those world beers that uh, they fell in love with, 
And so many of them started homebrewing to kind of make up for what they couldn't find here. Hmm. Um, but now, I mean, Crimini with, you know, I don't know what the current count of is for Oregon breweries, but, you know, you don't have to go far to find good beer. Well, yeah, Corvallis has nearly a half dozen breweries, right? So, I mean, that's just yeah, a small correct. example of that cluster effect. And, and then that doesn't count the tap houses, like, or the grocery stores with taps. I mean, that's, that's crazy what's going on. It is crazy. And so, yeah, home brewing's way down because people would rather, you know, go get a growler uh, and uh, head off to the baseball diamond and and play some baseball or, or you know, go fishing or whatever as opposed to, sanitizing their draft lines and cleaning their brewing kettles and that sort of business. So, yeah. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Homebrewing so has things- really taken a downward spiral the last five to seven years. Have you done things to diversify business? I mean, are you just homebrew? Are you doing wine? Are you doing cheese? Are you doing soap? Are you doing coffee? I mean, we've seen different variations of people trying to attract customers into the stores. Tell us a little yeah, bit about our, uh, what you're doing. our heart and soul is in uh, is in food ferment in food fermentation. So you know, beer, wine, cider, uh, cheese, sodas, uh, food ferments. You know, we're a resource for anyone that wants to come in and learn more about you know making kimchi or or how to how just how do you do a a fermented ketchup? You know, so um, we're a good resource for that. Um, but we're also um, a beer, wine, uh, sake bottle shop as well. So uh, we've got a pretty eclectic set of, of beer and wine. Um, I'd say probably the most eclectic set in, in, the, in the city. Um, and that's, that's really helped with, um, with helping to keep the homebrew supply shop uh, a little more afloat. So sweet. Tell me, tell me about the bottle side that you've got. So you talked about um, definitely the most eclectic there for the city. Um, how does it compare to some of the others, like maybe up in the Portland area, um, like Belmont or Johns or some of those places? Yeah, well, um, quite a bit, actually, because, I mean, if I go to Portland and, say, go to Johns uh, or Belmont, you know, I'm going to see things there that I've never seen before. Whereas if somebody right. comes down to Corvallis and looks around, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we have all of this. Um, and that has a lot to do with how beer is distributed in the state. Um, you know, a relatively small beer producer that, you know, doesn't have a lot of depth, they're going to go to Portland first, and then they're going to hit Eugene. So points between Salem and, and Eugene really um, are kind of a, a desert a beer desert, so to speak. There's a lot of really cool things that we just don't get that the Portland area does. Um, I guess that I guess that begs. Uh, did you get Pallet Jack when Barley Browns released Pallet Jack in a can? Yeah, we did. Yep. yep. Woohoo! See, you get yeah. something because not everybody <laughs> had that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's something. Yeah. Yeah, we were tearing we were tearing through the city looking for Pallet Jack, and everybody's like looking for the last six pack in the city, and we could have just went down to. Corvallis Brewing Supply, and it was there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any today, but um, we did right. that first shipment. <laughs> yeah, well, they're yeah they were distributed by a pretty small distributor um, with just not enough people power 
to get all the far reaches of Portland at once, you know. So, um, and then I don't, you know, yeah, it's not that big of a brewery, so um, they didn't make nearly enough either. Yeah, I think it was pretty fascinating that the amount of people that jumped over to cans before they would never do cans. And, uh, I mean, Barley Browns is one. And for people to see Pallet Jack in a can, it's like, whoa. And people are scrambling. But then Boneyard did the same thing. And we interviewed uh, Head Brewer over at Boneyard, and they were like, no, we will never do cans. Here a month later into COVID, they're pumping out cans of RPM. <laughs> yeah, um, and so pe- people have had to, like, react and do some things that, dif- things that are different. It'll be interesting when we come out of COVID and things start to normalize as much as they can what the beer market looks like and does Boneyard continue producing cans or can you find Pallet Jack in a can or is Yeti in some sort of specialized Yeti in a can? So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I agree. This, um, um, the, the beer world is always evolving and changing. This is just one more, one more little uh, twist and turn in, in that road for us. So yeah, it will be very interesting. Uh, I hope I hope a lot of breweries don't go out of business as a result of this. It'll be very interesting to see who can make it and who won't. Yeah, definitely. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your homebrewing experience. So you've been homebrewing, I'm assuming, since '97, if not a little bit before. Did you ha- did you have any formal brewing experience at all? Have you gone back to take classes, maybe at OSU? Um, what type of experience? And have you done big big brewing? Have you been on a big set? Um, so, I guess, yeah, I don't have any formal education with, uh, with homebrewing. Um, I don't, I don't know if that really exists so much. I mean, the American Homebrewers Association has some, some pretty cool programs and, um, and I know Oregon State University offers some, some like week-long seminars that, um, some homebrewers will come and and take. They're pretty in-depth, but, um, I mean, yeah, I took uh, I took a homebrew class. Uh, I had actually been brewing for quite a few years already, but I took one. Um, I guess I can call him a mentor. He uh, I'd say that I can't even remember his name. Um, he uh, <laughs> he uh, he was teaching a homebrew class, and then uh, basically said, you know, you ought to take the class over. So I took his class, and then eventually ended up. Uh, uh, taking over the class for them, um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, there's just a lot of great uh, books that are out there uh, to read, and there's also a lot of uh, there's a wealth of information that you do get from from commercial brewers. Um, you know, you you talk to a commercial brewer for an hour, and uh, you learn a lot. Totally. Um, yeah, I think my so, I think my first book was The Joy of Homebrewing, so which yeah. is a base book that a lot of people buy at their local homebrew shop. It's in probably its fiftieth edition now. But um again I agree. I think when it comes to homebrewing, again, yeast eats sugar and you add a little bit of hops and that's the basis of beer, right? So it's it's pretty hard to hose up a batch of beer. And to get better and better and better at it is why you go visit your local homebrew shop to learn more about how to make awesome beer. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, no, it is difficult to uh, mess up a batch of beer, and I, I always marvel at when it happens. And, 
I laugh a lot at the reasons why people dump beer. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, talk to me about legends of brewing. People that you would admire, people that you admire in the brew scene, maybe that you've even met, um, or who who who's influenced you in home brewing or brewing. Well, so speaking of Charlie Tabazian, I mean, I think any modern day home brewer can't say that they weren't influenced by him and what he's done for not only home brewing but for for craft brewing. I think just about every modern home brewer and and commercial brewer has has somehow been touched by Charlie Papazian and what he did with writing The Joy of Brewing um, and then uh, starting the American Homebrewers Association and, and everything they've done. So I think he's probably um, definitely my greatest uh, hero and, and influence in the, in the homebrewing world. Um, Ken Grossman with... Sierra Nevada, um, I think, is also, I mean, he's, he's certainly a legend uh, in his own right. Um, the, amount of, the amount of things he's done for, for beer is just incredible. Um, and his beers, you know, his beers continue to just be solid. I mean, it, um, show me another beer like Bigfoot that, has basically set the stage for a particular style. Um, pale ales and IPAs, you know, they're they're just they're quintessential uh, American craft brewery, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Sierra Nevada is amazing, especially the the very basis of Seattle, Sierra Nevada's pale ale. I mean, that that did set the stage and and still holds up, especially when others like Bridgeport IPA and a lot of these other Big things have come and gone, but Sierra Nevada is still there, still thriving, still doing great. Yeah, and I think continue will continue to as well. Um, I think uh, yeah, they're they're just uh, diehards, and and they're not going to let anything phase them. So um, they'll they'll evolve and um, be around forever. I hope. Not going to. Yeah, I agree 100%. So what's the most memorable beer that you've enjoyed in the past 30 days and ever? Um, well, so I took a vacation last week and um, I actually went down to the desert southwest and got away from all things um, connected to the World Wide Web and just looked at some huge, vast territories and um, – Bake my brains out in the sun, and and uh, it was it was awesome. But one of the things I did down there is I messed around with some um, some beer brewing. Um, I basically have a Kavik strain of yeast that I've been trying to just abuse and beat up uh, to all ends. So I um, I brewed like three or four beers with it here in Corvallis um, over the last couple of months. And doing all sorts of uh, hot ferments and cold ferments, and and the yeast just always kind of amazed me to its durability. So I took it on this road trip to southern Utah, and while I was down there, I did a couple of uh, half gallon and one gallon batches, um, just to continue 
uh, beating the, the beer up. And I actually brewed three batches of beer with that strain of yeast in 10 days on the road. Wow. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's within 30 days uh, one of the most memorable beers I've had, one that I've, one that, one that I've made. Um, best ever, yeah, best, best ever. Um, that's so tough, right? It's so tough. I'm. I, can I just say that, like Thomas Hardy's, uh, across the board, is, is, is my most memorable and favorite beer. And uh, I can't pick a f- favorite vintage, but '68 was a pretty phenomenal year. Well, I, so I'm, uh, I'm sensitive to the the brewing there. I especially small batch brewing. I don't, I don't think small batch brewing gets as much credit as it should. Um, I think a lot of people. Um, start with Mr. Beer, some variation of a small batch kit, and then it's it's got to be bigger and it's got to be bigger and it's got to be bigger, and we get stuck into this American way of thinking of bigger is better. Um, but today I just brewed a side by side. I brewed one gallon total, four liters, separate, and the only variant in between them was the type of hops. So it's a cream ale, and in the cream ale I used a Cascade. Um, I used a Mount Hood, I used a Saniam, and I used a Centennial. Um, it's the same mash. I just divided the mash out, the liquid out, into four, um, and then boiled them all at the same time. And then they were cooled at the same time, and they pitched at the same time, roughly at the same time. And we're going to see the difference side-by-side side in a small batch um, of these amazing hops that we have here. And in a cream ale, the same recipe, same everything. And, again, small batch, just exploring, having fun, doing something that's a little bit different. And, again, kind of that variant of most people would do try to do five gallons of something with Cascade and then uh, six months later do or a few months later do a Mount Hood and so on and so forth. But this is going to be a side-by-side of each. Um, so I love the idea of using that same yeast strain and just doing something a little bit crazy and different with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun, and and uh, you know, five gallons of beer is 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 great, but sometimes, you know, that's just a lot of the same beer, and it's nice to have a little variation. But that's also how you learn is uh, to do comparative brewing, uh, so you can figure out which strain of yeast you do like best for which scenario or which which hop hop varietals you do like best. So, where do you see the home brewing? the industry being post-COVID and maybe five or ten years down the road, knowing that there's a good chance that a lot of the smaller breweries aren't going to make it through this? Yeah, well, um, you know, unfortunately, I think Google, or not Google, but um, um, Amazon is going to rule the world. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to be resourcing um, that for um, not just homebrewing, but you know all all sorts of different types of hobbies and stages of life. Um, I'd like to think that small shops like mine um, that um, can find unique ways to evolve and and change to to stay with some of the the changes. Um, but it's it's gonna be tough. Um, I think I think the era of DIY is 
kind of past its glory. Um, and unless things get really worse with COVID um, or another another type of pandemic or or natural uh, tragedy, then I think um, we'll we'll just go back to where we were pre-COVID um, of going out for beers and and uh, breweries that closed will be replaced by people that have money and can buy old breweries or buy equipment and start start over again. Hmm. So I th- yeah I think we're, it's just going to cycle back and interesting. But it, it's Jason and I have talked about this a couple of times on other podcasts and and I'm kind of seeing maybe the possibility of a different outcome and that would be that we start seeing small home brewers popping up in their neighborhoods doing like this small small beer gatherings in in just their neighborhoods alone where people come over they enjoy that person's beer and they don't really go anywhere else for the beer because they don't have to it's right there in their neighborhood sure yeah um i mean but doesn't that already kind of exist i mean most home brewers are somewhat gregarious and outward going and uh they love to share their beer so anyone who can come over and and have a, a pint with them or grab a growler yeah i, I, I think yeah a lot of- yeah no i told i totally agree with that um but i've seen some stuff on facebook on uh, some other posts where people are getting inventive uh with their fence lines even where they'll put hinges on the fence line flip the hens the the fence line to where they have two sides basically of a big bench table and they're sharing beers back and forth with their neighbors that way um, just because of the COVID-19 piece. So I'm almost wondering if, if, if it takes longer than expected to get things opened back up and be able to go out and do the social stuff that people were used to doing pre COVID. If we see kind of a a pop-up of those, I would love. I don't want to call them neighborhood bars, but that's a, essentially what they would end up being. Um, well, I think, uh, like you mentioned with Facebook, you know, you see a lot of examples, and, and I think people are perusing Facebook and other social media, and they they're going to see things like that, and they'll be like, "Oh, I could do that." Yeah, I mean, home brewers love to brew, and they love to share, and I think that they do. That's <laughs> definitely, uh, that's definitely an. A, an avenue for continuing the homebrewing, uh, especially if um, if we have continued shutdowns. Um, Correct. I mean, even now, you know, some restaurants and bars are opening up, but you know, the restaurants a third of capacity because they have to have the tables so far apart. So exactly, it's not going to be as easy to go out because the lines are going to be longer because you have to wait for people to get done and blah blah blah. So. Staying at home, having a beer, I think is is excellent. I would have to agree. Cool. Final question. So, uh, Joel, what is the single most important step a homebrewer should not miss when making a batch of beer? So, the the go to answer is sanit- sanitation, right? Keeping everything clean. It could be your answer as well. But maybe what is the most overlooked step where somebody can screw up a batch of beer? Um, use of a hydrometer. Well, I get so, how many so. questions about how come my beer is doing this or my beer is not doing that? And, you know, when they come into the store, I can't see their beer. I can't taste it. I can't 
you know, smell or touch it. So it's like I have, n- I have no idea what is going on in that fermenter. Um, but if they can tell me what their specific gravities are and information about what the recipe is, timeline, then it's generally easy to, to pick out what went wrong and how to, how to correct it. But, I mean, yeah, you know, the, in terms of, like, defects and off flavors in beer, one, one that I hate the most is, is um, under-attenuated beer. It's just there's nothing worse than a, a, a sweet, <laughs> overly carbonated beer, and that's just people don't pay attention to attenuation rates and and um, how to use a hydrometer. So what is the what is the most common reason a beer doesn't attenuate um, or stalls out, as some would say, right? So what is that most common reason? Is it temperature? Um, is it um, time? What what does that look like? Yeah, it, it just blanket answer is it's yeast management. So I mean, there's more than one reason for yeast to not do what they want to do, um, and so sometimes it's one or two reasons. But uh, when it comes down to it, is you really have to have proper yeast pitch and well aerated wort. And if you get those two things done, then you shouldn't have any any problem. Right, I think. It- Today's different. I mean, I started brewing in the 90s, um, <clears throat> and there were a hundred reasons why beer could stall out or have funky flavors, and part of that was we, don't, we didn't have the technology then that we have now. Um, I've got a floating hydrometer that I can read on Wi-Fi. I've got temperature control. If I wanted, I can do glycol jack. I mean, it's crazy the amount of stuff that's available at a homebrewer these days, um, and not to be able to understand what specific gravity is, I agree, is, is is probably the number one challenge. But I also think that um, most homebrewers also just don't give beer enough time. Right? There's a lot of reasons why beer stalls out or yeast stalls out. And if the temperature dry, it drops, but ultimately has to do with is that yeast healthy and and happy. And the second it's not, guess what? It just stops and drops. So, Exactly, yeah. I'm going to, excuse me, I'm, uh, I ran through my first beer, so I'm, Opening up another one here. No problem. We're just getting ready to finish up here. So, what are you yeah, drinking? Yeah. Um, a beer that I brewed in uh, 2018, in the summer of 2018. I have a, a modified cool ship that I use in my garden. So, I do a lot of uh, spontaneous ferments in my garden. And sometimes I'll add um, different herbs herbs that I grow basil, thyme, oregano, and oh, um, P-tips and all, all sorts of crazy stuff. This one is just a straight, spontaneous ferment, but I added some white peaches to it. So You're a guy that we need to come hang out with down there. That sounds fantastic. How is Cool Ship Brewing? I've never done Cool Ship Brewing. How is that process? It's crazy because um, you, have to, um, you have to break some of the rules that you, you were trained on, right? So rule number one, you got to cool your work down as quickly as possible. Well, not with a cool ship. You know, cool ship is a very long, slow, gradual um, temperature drop, and you, and you also want to maintain. You want to get to a temperature that's uh, just over 100 degrees, and you know that's that's part of the rule that you break is 
you got to get your work down to yeast pitching temperature of 65, 70 degrees or whatever you're fermenting at. But with a cool ship, you want to maintain a work temperature um, of about 105 degrees for well over 24 hours so that you can allow um, a lot of the, the funky bugs to get in and and uh, get established before any Saccharomyces gets in. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to... We've been down in the guard in different places that have begin commercial type cool ships and I've always been fascinated. I mean the guard where you're going down and it's Tillamook and you've got the waft of cows in the air and I'm like, Man, no wonder it's funky and sour and crazy. But how would you hold it off as a home brewer? Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's sweet. Trevor uh, awesome. got his starter kit from me. Wow. Awesome. Home brewer. Sweet, man. Well, hey, we appreciate your time. So uh, when this COVID thing's over or we're able to come down to the store and have some beers, I promise you we're heading down our way. We'll give you a call beforehand um, and come check out the shop and um, and enjoy some of your beers. How about that? Yeah, and we'll do a little uh, pub crawl on Corrales. Heck, yeah. Heck, yeah, we will. So, All right, we're back. The world-famous Joel and Corvallis Brewing Supply. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, awesome interview. Yeah. L- learned yeah, a ton yeah. Good there, time. Dude. Good time. Yeah. Cool ship brewing. Yeah, and not just cool ship, but modified cool ship. So it'll, it'll be interesting to know what his modifications are. That, and he's using herbs out of the garden, dude. Don't you kind of wonder what herbs he's using? Uh, yeah. He said oregano. Well, and it was time and some others that he brought up as well. But time keeps um, on ticking, <laughs> ticking, ticking into the future. <laughs> well, awesome interview. Uh, we definitely need to head south and check those guys out. Yeah, fuck COVID-19. We're just going to start traveling. Yeah. <laughs> so we meant to hook up with Flattail Brewing. The- yeah. The grand scheme here was... To get those two on at the same time. Flattail right? and Corvallis Brewing Supply have them on at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Flattail's not doing so great in this COVID environment. So pray for those guys. If you pray, uh, think about them. If you think about people, um, and if you just drink beer and put them in your thoughts, that works too. Do that too. So, yeah. Flat, but we hope Flattail makes it out of COVID and... and there's more flat tail brewing to come, and hopefully we get an interview soon. Yes. But since we didn't get an interview, um, and they're not doing great, that means I have to draw a new card. Well, I'm almost thinking I need to draw a new card. Why? As well. Why? In addition to you. You uh, want to go three cards? Well, but Th- Thunder Island is not responding back worth a shit. Well, I need to call them. Well, you don't. I do. It's okay. my card. So you should call them. I will. I'll call them tomorrow. But my problem is the hours that I keep and the hours they keep are 180 degree opposite. Yeah, but if you go to bed so, at like 8. Well, but I don't. I go to bed at like 6.30, But then you get up at 4. Yeah, and I don't know if they're still open by then based you know, on their hours. I would call them. Um, so what I might have to do is just uh, eat it one of these one of these days and and just stay up. You can stay up. And then call them. I know you can. Oh, boy. So uh, what beer are you drinking now? Are you still on one? Yeah, I'm still drinking the the Belgian. It, it's. I'm drinking two. 
and it looks a lot like a freaking hazy. It does look like a hazy, but it's smoother than a hazy. Mm, nope, that's a hazy. It tastes like tang. <laughs> yeah, I told you. Yeah, the warm-up kind of <laughs> fucked me. Cold, that beer was good. That's a uh, tang beer. Tang. That's got to be about... Uh, like poon tang beer, or... That's hazy IPA. <laughs> juicy hazy. Oh, boy, it's juicy. <laughs> Tastes like stars and sprinkles to me. Huh. Stars and sprinkles. Star sprinkles. That sounds like a good name for a beer made by Breakside. Yeah, star sprinkles. It's also a stripper's name. <laughs> Didn't you date her once? No. No? <laughs> no. Never dated her. Well, I know I did. <laughs> yeah, never <laughs> dated her. Never date a stripper. All right, I got a deck of cards here. I'm drawing a new card. I'm giving you those. All right. I'm going to take the top card. No, you're not. Oh, shit. Now I just shuffled. I'm going to have to show my magician tricks. Yep, you're going to have to take what I give you like you always do to me. Here we go. So, uh, drawing a new card. I've got Walt Spring, who can't do an interview right now. We're going to take that one staring at me. Oh, what'd you draw? Nine of Hearts, and it says something about erotic kitchen. You need my glasses? Nope. <laughs> erotic kitchen? Does that sound familiar? No. Erotic kitchen. I've never been to an erotic kitchen. We need to go. That actually kind of scares me. Really? Yeah, an erotic kitchen? Or maybe it's neurotic kitchen. That may be a little more appropriate. <laughs> Let's see, nine of hearts. What do we got here? Aaron Trotter's cards. Craft Kitchen. I get to draw a new card. They're not even in existence anymore. Well, take that out of the deck. Put you back over here. All right. Craft Kitchen, no longer there. Oh, that one popped up. Up jumped the devil. Three of hearts. Good life brewing down in Ben. I'm calling you out, folks. Good life. Good life. Replacing flat tail, so I've got waltz just sitting there hibernating till they're ready, and uh, now we're hitting good life. So good life. Yeah. You know what I might do? What? I'm going to Sun River this weekend. There you go. Hit them up. I'm hitting good life. We're doing an interview. I'm reaching out. We're going to do a live interview, and what, I'm going to nail this out of the park. What? Are you going to get me on the phone, or you're just going to do it by yourself? I think I'm just. I may get you on the phone. Oh, you can do it by yourself. I'm not afraid. I may do it by myself. You I don't do know it. what I'm going to do. I may just call you while we're while I'm sitting there, drinking beer at the Good Life. You know what Good Life has? Good Life pot shop next door. (laughs) You're gonna do a 420 beer? (laughs) Nope. But I'm just saying they got a pot shop right next door. All right. It's kind of weird. Just make sure they sell brownies. I thought it was a hop shop, but it's not. It's a pot shop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Yep. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm not going there. Hey, so, <laughs> so what'd you think of the uh, what'd you think of the hazy? You know, I gotta tell you, these beers taste totally different warmed up than they do when they were cold. All right, uh, they do. The hazy is is a punch you right in the face kind of hazy. If you're not used to uh, doing hoppy beers, yep. So I'm gonna give you something that's not hazy. Well, it is hazy actually. I'm I'm feeling I'm gonna be wrecked in the morning already. <laughs> no, dude, I'm just feeling it. I've got the hangover cure. Well, for you, I've got a two of them. Oh, that a boy. 
So uh, unwrap that shot there. I know what this is. So I kegged the pineapple kolsch today. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Will tried it outside. Nikki tried it. They all liked as it? I was doing it. And everybody was pretty impressed. So non-carbonated, but it is attenuated all the way out. The uh, pineapple, though, is like not superly strong. Superly. It, it, yeah. The good thing is, is it's not in your face. Yes. Um, there's there's some pineapple beers out there that try and do it, and it's it's so in your face that's all you taste is the pineapple. Where as this beer in pre carbonation stage took me three sips of it to finally pick out where the pineapple was, and it's not overly sweet, but it's not overly bitter. It's kind of like right where it needs to be. So I think with carbonation. Um, it's going to be spot on where you wanted it. Yeah, I was pretty worried about, because it's a Kolsch, right? So I was pretty worried about it being too grainy and maybe having that grassy Kolsch-type deal. I also didn't really control the top-end temperatures much. Yeah. Uh, my AC unit went out on the oh, fermenter. Shit. <clears throat> As, actually, <laughs> what happened is the thermopaste that goes on the back of the back of the cooling unit. Yeah. Um, I didn't have fresh thermopaste. Oh I forgot. yeah. And so it just didn't cool as effectively. So yeah. I think the top temperature it got to was seventy two, but it was stayed under seventy two. Well, with that yeah. lager Kolsch Dieter yeast that I was using, I was like, oh, this could get estery. But yeah, I'm like, kind of, kind of at the top end. So I'll never reproduce this beer because I couldn't control that temperature. Right. But it didn't. I think the esters, if it did produce any, get lost in the pineapple, and it's okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it. It it's definitely not overly sweet. Um, not t- tasting a lot of the the fruity floral tones that you usually get with a, a super estery beer. So. Yep. No, I think it turned out well. Well, we'll see. We're going to carb that bad boy up, and then we'll throw it in some cans, and that's available, too. So, <laughs> hey, I got some uh, reviews on the saffron lager. Yeah. Is, how'd that go? Well, so the I handed out about a half dozen cans. Yeah. And two ladies said, hey, we <laughs> love this. We're not big beer people, and um, we don't like hops, but this beer is fantastic. But they were all over that one, huh? Yeah, they loved it. Yeah. Debbie couldn't finish the can. I couldn't either. Yeah. I can't really finish a can either myself. It's uh, uh, it's an alcoholic bouquet is the way I would describe it. So I would say any listeners out there that don't really like beer, and for some reason you're listening to our podcast, um, but if you want to, like, drink flowers, I got a beer for you. Boy, does he. <laughs> Boy, does does he? It's in a can, and it doesn't taste anything like beer. No, it doesn't. It's light. It's very clean. Yep. And... Barrel-y, floral. Nobody will know you're drinking beer, because they're no, going to they smell won't. your breath. They'll be like, you were just at a funeral. <laughs> you just ate a bed of roses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, beer number three. What are we looking at here? Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. It's very light, very crisp. That is a uh, IPA. Obviously, it just splashed me in the eye. I'm having a hell of a time today. <laughs> you just keep getting in the eye. <laughs> God, my <laughs> lord! All right, so uh, it tastes about like seven point two percent. And uh, fuck me, that is an IPA. 
That's an IPA. Yeah, the back half is super bitter. And this tastes a lot like uh, Keep Oregon Green by Sun River Brewing. You know, it's always nice when you look at the shit before you drink it, because <laughs> then you you can sound like an absolute genius. No, I just in the I, taste test. I have the place at Sun River, and so yeah, I like no, no, yeah, sure. You, you keep time. spouting that bullshit. Hey, um, I got a question for you though. Nope, no answers. What are the primary four ingredients in beer? Oh, that's easy: water, hops, yeast, yeah, and your grains. Or what do they call them? Um, now oh shit. <laughs> malted. Yes, grains. malted grains. Yes. There you go. Yeah. B- did you know that beer is ninety-seven percent water? Yeah, until the alcohol kicks in. Yeah. Well, ninety percent water. Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. My. Did you know that the human body is? <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to play that game. <laughs> well, I thought you'd enjoy that. So what is the difference between off-sale and on-sale premises of beer? Really? On-sale and off-sale? On... What? what off-sale is, and on-sale? What is the difference between off-sale and on-sale? I have no clue. Off-sale premise is where you purchase beer for consumption at an area away from your purchase point, like a liquor store. And on sale is when you drink it at the site. God, you would think that they would have clarified that a little better. It's on-premise and off-premise. Isn't that nice? Freaking morons. You know, I know you come to the Tim Beers for beer knowledge, and we're offering you beer knowledge. Tons of it. Tons of it. Tons. So we tried the pineapple colch that I sent to the cold crasher today. Yeah. That'll be ready in a few weeks. Yeah. So today I did a little science experiment. <laughs> and uh, Science experiment with Jason Rogers. Two weeks ago, we were sitting having a podcast, and we were talking to Matt Swihart from yep. Double Mountain. Yep. And Matt got me thinking with his using one yeast strain, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, so I've brewed a lot of beer in my life. And but what I've never done is brewed the same beer side by side with the same temperature, same variance, all that stuff, and then just switched one thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, like a controlled sample group, right? Yeah. So I said, what would be the thing? I could switch yeast, right? That could be a fun. You, you could. I could. Um, change the temperature right of the fermentation yeah yep, you can do so that. ferment one at like 30 ferment one at like 40 and 50 and 60 yeah i'm um, see what that does right but i said you know what let's go for hops what if we do a side by side of the same recipe make the same like take the malt or take the uh wort and split it into four and then with that, do a side-by-side comparison of hops. So same beer, but four different hop variants. Yeah. So I took a cream ale, Debbie's favorite beer, and then basically <laughs> boiled, what, two grams. I think it was two grams of, no, it was four grams. Four grams of Saniam, four grams of Mount Hood, four grams of Centennial, and four grams of Cascades, and now they're fermenting in one-liter bottles. Yeah, I was just stuck on the whole cream ale thing. 
It's um, creamy in my mouth. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, There's a whole new uh, episode on what is a cream ale. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm not going there. So, it, it was a single hop variant addition to the beer then. Yeah, totally. Versus, like, some recipes call for two to three different hops. You chose to go with a single hop addition at the same time for every single beer, but the only thing you changed was the actual hop varietal. The hop varietal is the only thing that changed. Interesting. So they're fermenting side by side. They boiled the same time. They cooled the same time. I'm already wrecked. There's no alcohol in this one. No, but I still got five other beers to finish. (laughs) So what I did is I poured samples of the wort, so this is just sugar water, essentially, with the hop in it that was the boil. So number one is the Mount Hood. Yep. Yep, yep. What'd you do? Shot? Did you do that as a shot? They're in shot glasses. Fuck, I just did it as no, fucking... No, Mount Hood. No, I did that. I did a fucking sip. Yeah. I didn't shoot it like a dick, like body shots. That was actually kind of hoppier than I thought it was going to be. There's like a little bit of bite on that bad boy. Oh yeah, there's there's a woo. <laughs> that back end hot bite's big. Nice thing is I had a lot of sugar out of that thing. That that's a sugary bastard. You know, it's like chewing on the actual hop flower at the end. Yep. Like it's there. All right, Sandy M is the next one. Mellower. A little mellower, but same thing. It's still like chewing on the hot flour. <laughs> well, it should be. All right. God. Third one is Damn. Centennial. Ooh, that one's sweeter. What do you think of that? Fuck me. And this one, like, I think my efficiency was, like, way good on this one. I didn't like Or that. better. This is Cascade. I did not like Centennial. Really? No, something about the bitter back end of that. I swished with it, and uh, the bitterness in it is brutal. (laughs) So, Cascade, I just give you a little bit of swill here. Oh, fuck me. Cascade's kind of watery. Yeah. I think you need to swish those around in your mouth to really get the full effect of what the actual hop flavor is. So, there you go. There's... Because that was not watery, the last one. Yeah. It had kind of a peppery bite to it. It did, definitely. I agree with that. A little bite to it. But there you go. So, there's the four beers. In uh, about two weeks, we will try those and see what they are. So, <laughs> it's sugar water and hops, dude. Oh. And he just washed it out with a hazy. Yeah, I went from hops to hops. All right. So let's uh, jump on this. And where are we at? We did Sun River. Well, we yeah, we already did three. So I think we're let's on go to four. four. So I think this one's going to be easy to drink because this looks very clear well, and it light. looks Pilsner-ish. When we poured, we were like, dude, this is nice. It's fruity, too. Wow. There's a bite on that. I'm not sure that it's a Pilsner. I'm not either. It's fruity. <laughs> There's no way. What the hell is that? They say they say it's 
Pearl Haggard by Ex Novo. Pearl Haggard, what's that? That's a German Pilsner. Pearl, well, I would agree. I don't know, there's like a sour bite. No, there's nothing sour about that one. You, the problem is, is the heat, we've let these warm up, so it's changed the flavor profile just um, a bit. Yeah, I don't know. But that has still got that upfront, very clean Pilsner taste. But the back half, there's a bitterness to it. There is. Which is not usually there with a, a Pilsner at all. No, totally not. So the only thing I can think of is they, what they call that beer? Pearl Haggard. So German the only Pilsner. thing I can think of is maybe they were using Pearl Hops in that, that, uh, that recipe. Could be. And that's what we're tasting on that back half after it warms up. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, yes, it is time for a potty break. What is the primary cause of beer going bad? The primary? Yep. Um, not treating the yeast correctly. Okay. <laughs> like how? <laughs> like how? Um, well, I would say temperature sensitivity. Yeah, so temperature and motion accelerate oxidation. Yeah. Um, and it's a good reason not to store your beer in the trunk of your car. <laughs> why, why the fuck would you put in your trunk of your car? That's just fucked up. Did you know that light is the primary cause of beer becoming skunked and is considered the primary cause of beer going bad? Yeah, that's why a lot of beer companies will actually use dark brown to black bottles. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, like, Heineken is notorious for this. They use a green bottle... And they get that skunked flavor. All right. Corona, too. Right. And, Clear. And they factor that into their whole marketing scheme. That's It's part of their shit. Yep. Did you know air is the primary cause of beer going stale? Basically from oxidization. Oxidization, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. 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 Beer does not like oxygen whatsoever. And the primary cause of a beer going flat is what? Oxygen. Oxygen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's come back. We'll try these last two beers and then uh, probably close this bad boy out. (laughs) Pass out, go on. All right, we're back. Yeah. Gary's got the bitterness. God, the hot bitterness in the back of my throat right now is freaking unreal. Eh, It just is what it is, right? Yeah, I don't like it. All right, beer number one, two, three, four, Did five. Did you dump all those down the toilet or something when I wasn't looking? Hey, no. In my throat, baby. <laughs> wow. They call me Deep Throat. I'm sorry. That's a prison name. <laughs> it's a prison name. Oh, God damn it. This beer is where we went off the rails on the last yeah, podcast Yeah, I'm not episode. drinking it. Not drinking it. How did we get that in two six-packs? Because I think they had a keg and they weren't moving it. And <laughs> Hey, Upright. I'm not. I'm not doing it. No, it's not upright. It's uptown. No, we're doing it. It's going. It's only six point one percent. Yeah, but you're slamming everything. I know. I'm just trying to get the. I just want to get the buzz. <laughs> you're gonna be hating tomorrow. You're gonna come home at noon like you did last time. No, I got the secret hangover cure now. Yeah, sure you do. I do. I don't trust anything till it actually works. You know what? I swear to God, I'm going downstairs as soon as we're done, and I'm drinking that. (laughs) 
So that is a Level Brewery's Chocolate Dynamite. That I'm not finishing. Chocolate Stout, 6.1%. Not finishing it. Why? I don't like the taste of it. It's chocolate. I don't even like the taste. It's like, chocolate in your mouth. Like, literally, something just popped up in the back of my head over my right ear that told me, go puke that out. No, you like chocolate in your mouth. Not That's that. a prison thing. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> I've never been to prison, bitch. You've seen prison, and you had chocolate in your mouth. <laughs> no, I can't say that I have. So what's beer number uh, six? Hopefully it's oh, not prison. Oh, my lord. I'm going to drink some pineapple Kolsch. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Why do I do this? Beer six. <laughs> this is called Ball Slapper. Oh, great. <laughs> I don't even know why I subject. You know, Jason thought this podcast thing was going to be... The best thing since sliced yeah. bread. <laughs> yeah. You just heard Jason's reaction in the background. <laughs> He's back there doing convulsions like he just got shocked oh, with 220. You wait. <laughs> You're sitting there running your jaws. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> oh, you're a candy ass. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a sour. Yeah, and? It's, it's not that bad. That's by Upright Brewing. It's an Oregon native beer. Pinot Noir Wild Ale. Yeah, it's definitely got that Pinot Noir front end. It's got a, I'm going to kick you in the neck. And back end. It's got that dry taste to it. I like Pinot Noir, but that doesn't taste like Pinot Noir. That tastes like... No, that has definitely been aged in a Pinot Noir barrel. No question about it. You like wild ales. You like wild ales and wild gals. Yes, I do. <laughs> and they both fucking hurt you. Yeah, they do? Yeah. Every time. It's only fun in games till uh, you get gonorrhea. <laughs> what? And one... <laughs> what only one of those you can't get gonorrhea. What the fuck? A wild ale, dude. No. Never, I've never gotten gonorrhea from a wild ale. <laughs> have you? I'm not going. There. You have? No. Uh-uh. I've, I've never gotten a wild ale anything. <laughs> what about a wild gal? No, never got that either. Gonorrhea? Yeah, never had it. Cha, cha, cha. No. I'm lucky that way. Well, you're interesting. <laughs> Not the, the world's least interesting man. <laughs> <laughs> but when I drink, I drink this. So what's your favorite beer out of all these six? Six that we've had. God. You know, I'm going to have to say it was the last one. Really? Yeah, really. Out of all that garbage we drank, that was it. I got a question for you. Okay. How long did Prohibition last? Seven years? Thirteen. Ah, oh, fuck. Prohibition lasted from 1919 to 1933. The 1920s in the United States called Roaring because of the loud, exciting times of the decade. I didn't the think it started that 20s. early. Yeah. You know, you know what decade we're in now? Yeah, we're in the 20s. We're century. about ready to have the roaring 20s again. All of us locked up in COVID. Yeah. You get, you wait. Everybody's drinking more. Supposedly alcohol sales are through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the roaring 20s. Well, and there's already people doing like 20 speakeasies parties right and left. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're, we're just a step away from prohibition. 
<laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> hey, another question for you. Yeah. The letter X is used in labeling some beers. Why? Uh, no idea. The X was traditionally a mark of beer strength. And the more X's, the stronger the beer. Ooh, like Dos Equis Triple X. Hey, but I think that's like 5.2%. But, but Dos Equis really means two. Two X's, yeah. 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 Dude, that might be onto something. <laughs> so, hey, I got a question for you. Another one? What state has the most craft breweries? That would be Boston. Boston's not a state. Well, okay. So... State. Most craft breweries... State. Um, state is. Smells like. <laughs> Asshole. It's back east, I know this. Nope, it's on the west coast. No, it is not. Top four on the west coast. No. What, when was this done? Three of four on the west coast. When was this done? 2018. Really? Yes. Because pre 2018, that wasn't the case. Top five, there's, a, there's an east coast. Okay, so... And it's not even close. The state with the most? State with the most. Most breweries. Most breweries. Well, that'd be Oregon. Negative. Really? California, 431. Huh. California. Number two. Oregon. Washington. No way. 256 breweries. How the hell did they beat Oregon? Number three. It's not Oregon. Colorado. Okay. 295 breweries. Oregon is in the top four. Oh, 235. Yeah. Top four, Oregon. 216. Okay. And then your fifth one is Massachusetts? New York. New York? New York City. (laughs) They can't do Tabasco sauce and they can't do beer. 181. Wow. And number six. Number six. Michigan. That doesn't surprise me. 159. On the Great Lakes. There you go. There's your top six. <sighs> the West Coast really kind of took it home there, didn't it? Yeah. I think they take it the chops, though, COVID, though. Hey, any ideas what the strongest beer in the world is? Uh, no. We saw it on Brew Dogs, didn't we? I don't know if we saw strongest. We saw most expensive. Well, Sam Adams produced a triple bock. Strongest at what, 19% or 20%? Sam Adams produced a triple bock, and it's often thought to be the strongest beer in the world at 17% achieved by using champagne yeast. However, Snake Venom by Brewmeister... Located in Keith, Scotland. This is the one I'd heard of. Is the world's strongest. Yeah, that's the one I'd heard of. 67.5% alcohol. Booyah! By using ale and champagne yeast. 67.5. Yeah, that's that's like drinking fucking vodka. 67.5. As a beer. That's basically using maple syrup and then putting yeast in it. And then adding more maple syrup yeah. and adding more maple syrup and adding more maple syrup. Hey, any ideas what a f- spectrophotometer is? Yeah, it measures light. For what? For beer. Yeah, it's a tool. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Tool used to measure the light that can pass through a beer. Yeah. 
and commonly used for quality control monitoring to measure color, <laughs> intensity, taste, bitterness, and carbohydrates in beer. Nice here, job. And here you thought I was just a drunk. Hey, <laughs> do you have any ideas who Joseph Williams Lovabond is? Yeah, that's the that's the dude that <laughs> that created. He sounded like Bill and Ted. Yeah, the dude. So he was the guy that created the Lovabond um, scale for. Uh, <laughs> God damn it! For um, gonorrhea? Not gonorrhea, you prick! For for the darkness of your roasts. So Private on uh, your barley. Oh, my barley. Yeah, Joseph on your roasted barley. <clears throat> yeah, well, he's he's the dude, as you noted. Devised a scale to measure the color of beer, now referred to as. The degrees of Levabong. Levabong. Yeah, that's pretty Still good. Still used today. Um, what else we got here? <laughs> what is a block? A lot of beer. What's a block of beer? A lot of beer. What is it? A block? A block of beer. What is that? Like a 20s term? No, it's a 30 pack. A block. What is a brick of beer? That's a 12. Yep. What is a church key? Church key? Yeah, but church. I know it's going to be a thing that you haven't really heard of before, but. That's a 24 pack. Church key is a bottle opener. <laughs> that's fucked up. What is a pony? Oh, that's easy. That's a, uh, that's a eight, eight gallon kick. Seven ounce bottle. What? Not where I'm from, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you know, you fucking lightweights. What is a tall boy? Uh, sixty-four ounce beer. Twenty-four ounce can. Oh, you, you, you're all slack. You're amateurs. Craziness. Well, there you go, bud. Well, I thought you'd enjoy that. That was that was fun. Yeah. What do you got left? Uh, I I got a sour left. All right. Well, I think we'll close this bad boy out. Uh, give a listen to the new outro. So we had a new intro. Here's the outro. Tim Beers. Thanks for listening to the Portland Tim Beers Podcast. Be sure to visit the Portland Tim Beers Podcast on ACAST.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the Tim Beers Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.